Grace and Gifts, Part 4. This morning we're going to delve into the first gift and only the first gift um, in Chapter 12 of Romans. That doesn't mean that I'm going to take a week for each gift. I'm not. I'm just going to take a week for this gift. Um, so, first gift... And it is also the first gift in 1 Corinthians 14. And it's right up there in 1 Corinthians 12. So right out of the gate, I'm going to ask those of you who are well steeped in theology to be patient for a stint as we establish some of the more rudimentary terms and definitions necessary for everyone, both beginners and theologians, um, to understand this term and these things that are sacred and dear to us as Christians, i.e. these gifts. We left off last week at the very beginning of uh, Paul's gift list in verse 6 of Romans 12. It is here that Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Remember, I made a big deal last week out of the let us use them part. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to read it all again. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to list the other gifts that follow prophecy. Since abuses are prevalent with many churches and ministries regarding this subject matter especially, it is all the more necessary for us to spend ample time making sure everyone is on the same page. You with me? If you remember last week after we read verse 6, we jumped over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we looked at that same gift there as Paul lists it and speaks of it. In 1 Corinthians 14, if you go there if you like, uh, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. So prophecy is the first gift, as I said, that he mentions in Romans 12, first gift he mentions in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, it is also the gift that Paul mentions the most, saying that it is especially the one that his reader should desire. And Paul goes on to say in verses 2 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. 
The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, he says, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, before we delve deeply into this, I'd like to point, point out a few things. Churches who espouse prophecy as an actual spiritual gift used today can be and often are in the habit of referring to the prophetic word as a word from the Lord. How many of you have heard that? A word from the Lord. And those of you who have experience in charismatic or Pentecostal church backgrounds will vouch for that. You hear that often amongst that Christian company. It's a very common phrase that is used um, by the congregants not only to say, I have a word from the Lord, but perhaps to say, I have a word for you from the Lord. I was praying and the Lord gave me a word for you. And, you know, people joke and they say, well, he, did, he didn't give me that word. Um, so I don't know where you got that at, but that's a whole other. Okay, so um, pastor, <clears throat> pastor and professor Wayne Grudem who is a popular, well-respected figure, most of you know, among many Reformed Christians today. Um, and he adheres to the belief that one can embrace the doctrines of grace, i.e. Reformed doctrine, and still at the same time believe in spiritual gifts, spiritual sign gifts described by the Apostle Paul, he believes, Grudem, that they are still these sign gifts alive today in the church. Um, now, I've, I've said it this way because there are also many Reformed Christians, Reformed pastors, who do not believe that these spiritual gifts are meant for today, but instead they believe that these particular spiritual gifts, the sign gifts, have ceased. Hence, cessationism or cessationists. One who is a cessationist believes that the sign gifts have ceased. Now, Grudem wrote a book. He's written many books, but he wrote a book entitled The Gift of Prophecy. And in that book, on pages 17 and 18 to be exact, he begins to define prophecy as it is seen by different groups within Christendom. And I believe that Grudem rightly labels these groups. He labels them well. The first group that he sets up, which I pointed out last week and a minute ago, are the cessationists. They believe, as I said, that 
these types of gifts that exhibit signs like praying and or speaking in tongues or miraculous physical healing through the laying on of hands, okay? And prophecy, those three, um, would be defined, Grudem says, um, as a revelatory word, I'm quoting now, a revelatory word from God through a person who has the gift of prophecy to the congregation or even to an individual by way of prophetic utterance for the purpose of encouraging and edifying the church. One more time. I'm going to read that. That was a lot. Okay? A revelatory word from God through a person who has a gift of prophecy to the congregation or even to an individual by way of prophetic utterance for the purpose of encouraging and edifying the church. And a cessationist would adhere to the view that this type of prophetic utterance that he just described, remember we're looking at this group, the first group that he is designating, cessationists, he says that this type of prophetic utterance they would believe has ceased at the closing of either the apostolic age or the closing of the canon of Scripture, the New Testament canon of Scripture, or both. Some people who are cessationists believe both. Some believe one or the other. And there are other things. There are other reasons which we'll get into when we look at 1 Corinthians or when we, when we get to exegeting 1 Corinthians. You'll see other reasons why cessationists believe the way they do. A, success, a, a cessationist would also hold fast to the belief that the other sign gifts uh, that I mentioned, like speaking in tongues, aside from prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing miracles through laying on hands, okay, would have ceased early in church history. Okay? And the reason why that is important is because we have the writings of early church fathers um, up through the 4th century, actually, who espouse and um, describe sign gifts as having taken place in their congregations and in their, their church gatherings. So that's why that's important. So, as I said before, cessationists have a variety of reasons for their position in, in believing that the gifts have ceased, okay? And many, many books have been written like Wayne Grudem's book on prophecy, outlining these different reasons. Um, you might want to take one up between now and the time we get to 1 Corinthians, which won't be that long away, if you want to read more about this subject, both um, from a cessationist point of view and a continuationist. Continuationist believes, as you'll see in a minute, that these sign gifts have continued, hence continuationist. Okay? So... Um, <clears throat> it's also important to point out I, I want to make sure that, that you understand where I'm coming from personally that these views that cessationists give or, or have I should say and the reasons for having them 
and the views that the continuationists have and the reasons for having them are very well thought out, cogently constructed and defended views. And either view, although on opposite extremes, um, can be argued very effectively uh, by either side. Everybody with me on that so far? Okay. I want to be fair. I want to be fair. So Grudem gets into each of these reasons in this particular book. And it's also worth pointing out that Grudem being the reformed guy that he is and the well-respected guy in reformed circles that he is, that he's written, I would say without reservation, a bunch of other books, um, many of which are about this subject. Uh, he's also written a book called Our Miracles for Today, and he's written a book called Making Sense of Christ and the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, okay? And then he just, I, don't quote me on this, but I think it was recent that he completed his systematic theology that came out. Okay, conversely, wake up. I know this is dry, some of it. It's necessary, though. There are guys out there, like Walter Chantry, for example, who wrote a book entitled Signs of the Apostles, which is a go-to book for Christians that hold the view that the gifts have ceased. Okay? I have both on my shelf. Now, you may be wondering why I picked Grudem. Um, I've done so because, as I said before, he's one of the more well-known Calvinists who, are, who is a continuationist. And I also chose him because he has written more on the subject than anybody I've known of in reform circles. I can't find anyone, I tried, who has written more on the subject, who's considered a, a theologian on the subject than him. There are also a slew of videos online um, depicting him in interviews and whatnot about these subjects, okay? There are many others who happen to be reformed. When I say reformed, I mean believe in the doctrines of grace that are continuationists, believers in sign gifts for today. Guys like people that you'll know, most of you will know, John Piper, uh, D.A. Carson, Matt Chandler, Sam Storms, Okay, they're all continuationists and yet reformed in their soteriology. When I say soteriology, I mean salvation, that which we believe about the subject of salvation is soteriological. And so if I say we adhere to here at Abiding Grace Church, a reformed soteriology I mean that our view of salvation is from a Reformed perspective, okay? So that means that these guys I just named, they believe that God elects 
those that he saves in keeping with a Reformed tradition or a Reformed soteriology. They believe that's witnessed in the biblical record, in the scriptures, and I did all of that just to give you a little bit of a background as to where these guys are coming from. I'll be quoting these people a lot when we get to 1 Corinthians. Now, I also said last week that I wasn't going to get into the reasons why some choose to be cessationists and others choose to be continuationists while we are going through Romans, but instead we'll do that in 1 Corinthians. But I want you to know the reason why I said that. The reason for that is because I don't think that spiritual gifts, although certainly taught by Paul in Romans, I don't believe that they are as much part of the overall context of Romans as they are part of the overall context of 1 Corinthians. That's the only reason why. Okay, back to Wayne Grudem, okay? As we saw a moment ago, the first group he names in his book describes, he describes as cessationist. The second group he names consists of those Christians who he says have no strong convictions either way, one way or the other, about spiritual gifts. Okay? And then he says there's a third group, and of course that is the group who espouses a continuationist uh, model, believing that sign gifts continue. So, those that don't think that these gifts are still in operation, those that don't care or aren't sure, and those who think they do. <clears throat> I would, <clears throat> excuse me, if you are in the camp um, of not caring, I would uh, um, like to persuade you to perhaps pick one of the other two camps because you have to care. You have to care about much of what you believe personally and your growth in the sanctification process with the Lord, okay? Um, this has to come into to play for you, for all of us as Christians. Um, so, you know, in your spare time, because I know everybody has spare time, uh, read a book or two about both sides, cessationism and continuationism, and then start to mull that over in your mind. Okay, Grudem says <clears throat> that, um, well, let me quote him, okay? When he, he's, he ta he's talking about people that espouse these gifts today, and he says, quote, Many charismatic and Pentecostal Christians answer that prophecy is a word from the Lord that brings God's guidance to specific details of our lives and gives much personal edification and brings to our times of worship an intense awareness of God's presence. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> then he says, 
that as he addresses these three groups and what they believe concerning the gift of prophecy, he says, quote, I am asking that charismatics go on using the gift of prophecy, but that they stop calling it a word from the Lord simply because that label makes it sound exactly like the Bible in authority leads to misunderstanding. Now, that's a direct quote, and it makes no sense. So I'm going to read it the way I think the editor meant to edit it, but didn't. Okay? Um, I'm asking the, char the charismatics go on using the gift of prophecy, but that they stop calling it a word from the Lord simply because that label makes the word from the Lord <clears throat> sound like an authority on an equal plane as the Bible. That's what he means to say here. And you'll see this if you go into charismatic and full gospel churches, Pentecostal churches, people actually believe in their own mind that when they give a word from the Lord, whether it be a prophetic utterance or a word of knowledge, that it's equal and up there with the Bible and what the Bible says. Because they usually start talking by saying this, thus says the Lord, I've got a word for you. Thus says the Lord. And then they go on. Okay, well, <clears throat> like I said before in one other sermon, thus says the Lord. I don't think the Lord speaks in Elizabethan English. So as soon as I hear somebody say, thus says the Lord, red flag, and then um, <clears throat> certainly when I hear and I have heard many times, not a few times, many times, people will say, Thus says the Lord, the Lord gave me a word to give to you, or the Lord gave me a word to give to the congregation. And then they quote scripture, and they misquote the scripture. I don't think that God, speaking through you in a prophetic utterance, or a word of knowledge, is going to misquote his own word. Even if it's in Elizabethan English. Second red flag. So these are just ways that you can determine whether or not what you're hearing is legit or not, okay? So, I understand where Grudem's coming from when he says that, but if you've ever spent any significant time amongst charismatic believers in a Pentecostal or full gospel church, you will understand that there ain't no way these people are going to stop saying, I have a word from the Lord. It's part parcel of the whole gig, okay? They're, you're not going to get them to quit saying it. It's embedded. So, um, it is too common, and this is just my opinion, it is too common within Christianity today, especially amongst celebrity pastors, okay, to say, I was praying yesterday and the Lord gave me a word for you. Or I was praying this morning and the Lord impressed it upon my heart to tell you this. How many of you have heard people say that? 
there's too much of that going on. You may have someone or you may have seen someone come forward in a Pentecostal church and a common occurrence, I should say, is everyone will be worshiping and someone will walk down to the front of the platform and stand there and wait. And the pastor will come over and give that person the microphone. And then that person will give a word from the Lord to the church. Now, this happens all the time. I've seen it happen probably hundreds of times over the past 32 years. Um, those people are typically either believed to be or believed to have the gift of prophecy by the pastor or they are believed to be someone that has the gift of giving a word of knowledge by the pastor. And I've seen pastors who won't give the microphone to people because they have a reputation for saying things that aren't necessarily biblical and aren't necessarily edifying and encouraging for the church, which is what Paul says is one of the hallmarks of the gift of prophecy. It's edifying and encouraging to the church. Old Testament prophecy was condemning. New Testament prophecy is edifying. General rule of thumb. So anyway, you see this happening, and you see it happening too often is my only point. And things are said that aren't true, and people believe things that aren't true. They don't line up with the word of God. So I say all that to say this. This is an abused gift. And I'm going to group in word of knowledge with prophecy, and you'll see why. It's an abused thing that people use. Now, a word of knowledge is a gift that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. And he mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. This is another sign gift. Um, as I said a moment ago, people have come to me with either a word of knowledge or a prophecy and sometimes those words from the Lord have come true down to the smallest detail. And sometimes those words from the Lord have not come true, not even one speck or iota of it. And if you talk to pastors who have experienced this, or especially pastors who... Um, work in a Pentecostal or full gospel church, you'll hear that this is a common occurrence, that someone will give a word and it'll come true and someone else will give a word and it won't. What I want to point out to you is that 
the times that they come true are minuscule, minuscule in comparison to the times they don't come true. Hence the abuse that I'm talking about for five minutes here, okay? And this is if you believe in the gift. You may not believe in the gift, which again, we'll get into in 1 Corinthians, but I'm doing this for a reason that I'm going to reveal here in a minute, and hopefully you guys will be with me. Um, Not with me in my belief, but with me in understanding what I'm trying to do. In response to this, when someone tells a pastor, gives a pastor a word, and it either does come true or doesn't come true, um, it's either perverted or it's not a pure motive or whatever, please keep in mind, keep this in mind. Many people um, might tell you that they love you, Some of them really do love you and others are lying through their teeth. The pure love that comes from those who truly love you is not negated by the pseudo or fake love that is expressed toward you from someone who is lying to you about how much they love you. So my point is simply that true love still stands as legit despite the fact that there are people who say that they love you, but they don't. I'm glad you're shaking your head, Laura, because at least I know somebody's following me because everybody else is looking at me like a deer in the headlights, okay? One doesn't negate the other one. Okay. It's also worth pointing out that a lot of people think that they have these gifts and they don't. Plain and simple. I've seen that more often than anything, and that's an abuse. I'm listing the abuses here. Um, You'll see people from every walk of life think that God speaks to them every minute of every day through billboards, TV shows, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. I was doing this, God spoke to me. So, Wayne Grudem surprised me in his book with this very simple plea to his friends who might be cessationists. And I know there are probably people in here who are cessationists. He simply asks them to uh, reconsider that perhaps the Lord might use this gift of prophecy or that word of knowledge in someone in order to edify or encourage and or comfort in the church. And I I would concur with that statement and probably ask my friends the same thing. Just be open. Be open to the possibility that God might speak to someone through someone else or God might give a word of knowledge to someone for a congregation to edify, equip, or uplift, okay? One thing is for sure, 
the validity of such things needs to be judged by Scripture. If it does not stand up to Scripture, if what is said, no matter how eloquent or wonderful, does not stand up to Scripture, then it is not right. Grudem points out that Paul gives very specific instructions to the church at Corinth concerning these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you can go there if you like, 29 through 33, 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 33, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then Paul also addresses this, if you would go over to Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Did I say 1 Thessalonians? Yeah. First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. That's what I meant when I said test everything against scripture. Test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, I'm telling you that Grudem points out these two scriptures for church order in regard to the gift of prophecy or a word of knowledge, okay? I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm getting into all this. So, we see instances of this type of spontaneous revelation, we'll call it, a revelatory uh, word in scripture, you know, recorded in the prophecies of um, guys like Agabus, uh, who predicted the, that the famine would occur during the reign of Claudius in Acts eleven twenty eight, and he also prophesied that the Jews would bind Paul and deliver him over to the Gentiles in Acts twenty one ten and eleven, etc. etc. There there are a bunch of um, other New Testament examples, New Testament scriptures that we don't have the time to get into. And like I said before, there are all also a bunch of um, early church father uh, writings where um, they talk about the word of prophecy and, and, and a word of knowledge in the congregation. Um, and, and if you need those, if you ever want those sources, I can, I have them bookmarked. I could send them to you. So anyway... Uh, these are the types of things that Paul's referring to and or has in mind. Listen, 
These are the types of things that Paul is referring to and or has in mind when he's talking about this gift in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. It seems that prophecy was not only spontaneous in the early church, but it was also often dictated toward concrete situations giving particular guidance in particular circumstances in the body of Christ. I think that's very, very important. It wasn't a willy-nilly revelatory word from God. It was, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. This is what's going to happen. Okay? Instead of boring you with readings from early church fathers, um, and again, I'm not making a case here for continuationism with the gift of prophecy, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but instead of boring you by reading you writings from the early church about these things, I would like to share with you um, a real, what I would consider to be a miraculous example here in our own church, okay, of something that happened in our own church. Now, some of you have heard this. Most of you have not. Some of you have. Pastor Steve and Pastor Scott surely are familiar with this. So we've talked about it several times. Um, my prayer is that this will encourage you and edify you. Uh, but more importantly, I pray that it will show you God's unmatched glory by way of his very, very intimate and very specific love for us as a church at a particular time in our history, which happens to be our birth, okay? When we decided to plant this church and we <clears throat> were looking for a building, it was very difficult to find a place to meet in the South Hills, especially within driving distance from the key families that were planting the church, okay? The rent that landlords wanted to exact, were, it was just outrageous. There's no way we would have ever been able to afford it, okay? So... I came upon this place being open as a possibility. And immediately, first things that we thought of as elders are people going to be turned off because it's a Masonic hall, right? Um, we actually have had people come to this church and say, we love your church, but we can't get over the fact that it's in a Masonic Hall, so we're leaving. 
We had one person who was here an entire year and loved the church, but couldn't get past the fact that we meet in a Masonic Hall, so they left. We knew that that was going to be an issue when we even considered this building, okay? So, and, and of course, we, we explained theologically to these people that we sanctify the building the moment we walk in, but they would not hear of it. So, we had apprehension in the very beginning about renting this place, but what they were offering us in regard to rent and in regard to use of the facilities was um, the best thing ever, okay? So we proceeded to go on with going further down the road in exploring this as our primary building. And m most of you have seen the altar in the middle of the floor that's here. If you get here early, you'll see it. And we knew that altar was here. And it's creepy. It's creepy. And we knew that. You know, we knew that. So it was a big issue for me. Big issue. Um, so, you know, I would be praying and asking the Lord to reveal to me whether or not he wanted us to use this building and this altar would always come to my mind and I'd be like, but the altar, but the, the altar. You got to give me a sign, Lord, about this altar because I know people are going to come, they're going to see this and they're going to leave. What are you going to do about the altar? Now cry out to God in prayer about this. And of course, doing, you know, looking at other buildings at the same time and just getting every door slammed in our face, every door slammed in our face. Um, so, I know this woman. I call her a girl because we went to high school together. Um, we've been friends since we went to high school. And um, she, over the years, has given me words from the Lord. And... They've been right 100% of the time. She'll say to me, she'll say something to me that the Lord spoke to her in prayer about concerning me or my ministry, and it always comes true, always. And so, and I, I probably only talk to her three times a year, maybe four, and typically the times that we talk, she's got a word from the Lord for me. So, she knew nothing about this church. Nothing. She didn't know about the Bible study that we had in my living room. She didn't know about us um, thinking about planning a church. She didn't know anything. I hadn't talked to her for three months. I think it was three months. So, I'm driving down Corrigan Road in South Park, and I'm crying out to the Lord about this building because... That afternoon, I had an appointment with the head mason to sign a lease for six months for us to occupy this building. 
And I'm driving down the road and I'm praying and I'm crying out to God about this stupid altar. Okay? And I believe that God <clears throat> spoke to my spirit, not an audible voice, as they say, still small voice, and said to me, call Bonnie. And I'm like, I, I don't want to call Bonnie. I don't want to get into all this with her. I don't want to tell her what we're doing and explain it all to her. I don't want to call Bonnie. And I'm driving and the Lord impressed upon me and said, Call Bonnie now or you're going to miss her. Okay, you know, what is that supposed to mean? So I pull over in the parking lot where the ice rink is, throw the car into park, call Bonnie. She picks up the phone. She says, oh, hi, Mike. She goes, I'm glad you called. I was on my way out the door. You almost just missed me, were her exact words. I can't make this stuff up. So I told her, I felt the Lord was telling me to call her that she had a word for me. She goes, well, yeah, I was praying for you this morning and the Lord said something to me and she said, and I'm like embarrassed to tell you because it's so off the wall. She goes, I just don't understand what it means. I said, well, what did he say? God told me to tell you not to worry about the altar. Like, okay, well, that's not weird at all, and here's why, and I explained it to her. So I turn the car around, I drive towards this building for my appointment with Mr. Kern, and um, we're sitting in the conference room, and he has the lease on the table, and we do small talk and then he looks at me and he says oh by the way I wanted to let you know that we have a square dolly for that altar and you can roll it into the closet when you have service as long as you roll it back out and put it back where it was when you leave when you leave the building so I signed the lease and here we are year nine I don't see how that could possibly be a coincidence. I just don't. So if you were to say to me personally, are you a cessationist, Mike, or are you a continuationist? Do you believe in sign gifts or don't you? I would say, you know, I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know that there have been times in my life, that one being one of them, there have been other times I could tell you other stories. There have been times in my life when people have said things to me like that and they've come true. That's all I could tell you. That's my witness to this. Like I said, when we get to 1 Corinthians, you'll see Good arguments could be made for both sides. But my experience in all my years of ministry, a lot of abuse with these things, a lot of abuse. But there are times that God has spoken to me and directed me through certain people that have proved themselves to not, not be one of the abusers of these things. 
that make sense? Okay. So, I'm not going to spend this much time on the other gifts. We're just going to go through the other gifts next week. Um, there aren't that many in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm sorry, in, in Romans 12. But I just wanted to spend a little bit more time on this one because this is the most abused. This is the most sensationalized. And frankly, this has been the one in my life that, has, that God has used the most in other people to, to direct me places. And like I said, I don't, I don't have an explanation. I can give you the theological explanation for it. But like I said, I can make a theological ex- explanation for the other, the other side too. So I hope that you guys don't think I'm nuts and that you understand what I'm saying. Understand my heart, I should say. Let's pray.